And welcome back to the Word Encounter episode 244. Today we'll be picking things up in the book of Ephesians in chapter 4. And uh, we'll be uh, completing Ephesians today. And Paul has a lot of practical things to say to the church that are applicable today with regard to marriage, with regard to child rearing, with regard to uh, uh, working in the workplace and employee, employee rela- employer-employee relationships. And so let's just get in and see what he has to say. It says, Unity and diversity in the body of Christ, in verse 1, chapter 4. Therefore I, a prisoner in the Lord, he says a prisoner in the Lord, ironically, he was a prisoner, he was physically a prisoner either in Caesarea or in Rome as he's writing this letter, uh, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. So Paul is encouraging the people in the church of Ephesus to essentially be respectful of each other and be mindful of how you walk. You know, when you develop a a relationship as one who is following Christ, people watch you, people look at you. And so he's saying, carry yourself with what you have been given, with the with the treasure that has been uh, uh, given to you, that has been bestowed upon you. Walk in such a way to honor that gift that has been given to you. In verse four. He says, uh, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is above all and through all and in all. See, sometimes I think we we need to uh, remember, we need to recognize that God is in all of us, those of us who have called on his name. He is in all of us. And I know that there are some believers out there, you know, that they can be, shall we say, a challenge with regard to uh, being in a relationship with. Some people are very hard to get along with, you know, but we have to remember that just as the Lord is in us, just as God is in us, God is in them. And we have to honor the God that is in them. And so it says in verse 7, Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And so we all have a measure of grace in us again. We all have the blessed Holy Spirit in us, those who call on Christ. And so even in those challenging relationships with people, uh, we have to remember that. And we, we cannot dishonor the God that is in them. It says in verse 11, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ. And so we see here that according to the Lord's pleasure, we have nothing to do with this, he bestows these gifts onto people, some to be a prophet, some to be an apostle, some to be an evangelist, some to be pastors, some to be teachers. This is coming from the Lord. He gives us those as gifts. We don't appropriate ourselves to those gifts. We have to uh, be in compliance. We have to be uh, in obedience. We have to be a willing vessel to receive the gift, but we don't get to control who gets what gift. That is Jesus's job. That is his uh, 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 that is coming from his command. See, a lot of times we get uh, jealousy and envies rise up in people. And, 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 and so therefore, you know, they, they, they assume one position is higher than another. And therefore they want this position instead of that position. They want this gift instead of that gift as if they have something to do with it. <sighs> And we cannot forget the purpose of the gift. The purpose of the gift isn't so that you can put something on a business card and say, hi, I'm you know, Pastor so-and-so, or I'm Apostle so-and-so, you know, I'm Rabbi this or that, or Pat. No, no, no. 
It's for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. And so that gift is to be used to serve the body of Christ so that those receiving the gift impart these things into the, 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 the main body of the saints so that the saints can perform the work of the ministry. See, it's like going to college, right? So colleges are supposed to equip people to enter into the work field. <clears throat> and so this is what the, um, what the gifts are for, is to equip people. Then it says in verse 13, until we all, well, let me back up. He said, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to build up um, the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and uh, in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with the stature measured by Christ's fullness. And so the church, the whole church is to measure itself, if you will, by Christ's fullness because the entire church is to essentially replicate what Christ did when he was walking the face of the earth in his fullness, in all that he did. See? <clears throat> That's what the church is for. Then it says, verse 14, then we will no longer be little children tossed by waves, tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching by human cunning and cleverness in the techniques of deceit. And so what Paul is saying here is, look, if you're grounded in this stuff, if you're grounded and founded in this stuff, then you will not be subject to being blown around by what you see on television, by what you watch on YouTube or whatever, as far as a new teaching coming along or, or somebody having this spin on something or that spin on something or somebody trying to distort the word, trying to make the word not say what it actually does say in order to advance their own agenda. It says you won't become subject to that, uh, Paul is saying, if you're grounded and founded in the word. You won't be like a child blown around. You'll be mature. It says in verse 15, but speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head Christ. See, it's not good enough just to speak the truth because sometimes the truth can be harsh. Sometimes we can use the truth as a weapon against people and things that we don't like. But there's a proviso here, right? It says speaking the truth in love. And so you have to be motivated by love when you're speaking the truth. And if you're motivated by love, then you're motivated, uh, you're motivated by the well-being of the person or the organization that you're speaking the truth to. You're not using it as a weapon to hurt them. You're using the truth to help them. In verse 16, from him, the whole body fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. And so in order for the entire body to be functioning as it's supposed to function with the right motivation, with the right goals, then every individual part of that body has to be properly functioning. So every individual that makes up the uh, that makes up the body has to be properly functioning in their part. Nobody left behind. Everybody is needed. Living the new life in verse 17, it says, therefore I say this and testify in the Lord. You should no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded uh, from the life of God because the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They are ignorant because of the hardness of their hearts. See, they have unbelievers have the opportunity to believe, you know, they, they can say, you know what? 
this makes sense. Yes, I feel the Lord. Yes, Jesus is Lord. I believe this in my heart, and I confess it with my mouth. Jesus is Lord. And it says, if you remove that hardness from your heart, then you will no longer be ignorant. <laughs> and so we're ignorant because of the hardness of our hearts. And so it says that those people are darkened in their understanding, and they're excluded from the life of God because of the hardness of their hearts, and therefore they're ignorant, and therefore they can't, they can't properly analyze and synthesize the things of God. It says in verse 19, they became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity uh, for the practice of every kind of impurity. And, here's, and he goes further and says, with a desire for more and more. And so it says they practice every kind of promiscuity, not only that, but they want to do it more and more. They want to find even more promiscuous ways. They want to do even more evil. They want to commit even more wickedness. They, they've given themselves over to this because they've hardened their heart and they've shielded themselves from the word of God. It says in verse 25, therefore, putting away lying, speak the truth, uh, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. <clears throat> and so he's talking to the body. here. It says, you know, we're members of one another. Treat each other with respect. Speak to each other in kindness. You know, let's assist each other. It says in verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Now, notice here, it says be angry and do not sin. In other words, being angry is not a sin. It's how you respond to that anger. <laughs> you know, <laughs> being angry is not a sin. Sometimes you can't help getting angry, but you can control how you respond to it. You can control what you do as a result of it. It says, don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. In other words, it's saying here, if you give yourself over to anger, then you're giving the devil in, in, uh, a threshold in order to enter you and manipulate you. Don't let that happen. He says, let the thief no longer steal. Instead, he is to, uh, he is to do honest work with his hands with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. And so this can speak not only to the thief, but to those of us who are everyday workers and whatnot. And, and he said, look, you're not only working for a living for your family to support yourself and your family to be productive and whatnot, but you're also working in case there is a need that arises, then you can contribute to the solution of that need. Verse 29, no foul language should come from your mouth. Let me repeat that. No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. Our mouths are powerful. Our words are powerful. Use your words to build up, not to tear down. <clears throat> and don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You will sealed by him for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, and so anger and wrath, and so because wrath can be a response to anger, right? Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you along with all malice. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Therefore, this is chapter five, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. And you know how children uh, will uh, many times mimic their parents. And so Paul is saying, therefore, be imitators of God. You know, as you go about your walk, as you go about your life, be imitators of God. 
just as a child imitates their parents. And it says, but sexual immorality, this is verse three, but sexual immorality and any impurity or greed should not even be heard of among you as it is um, heard of among you as is proper for saints. In other words, it's proper for saints not to be even alluded to in sexual immoral practices or um, uh, the impurity of greed and, and, and that sort of thing. I would throw slander in there or anything that brings reproach upon the kingdom. That, that's not for saints to do as they're living their life. It says in verse 4, Are obscene and foolish talk or crude joking are not suitable, but rather give thanks. In other words, choose something else. Don't choose these negative things that come out of your mouth. Choose something else. Choose, choose those things that build up, not those things that tear down, not those things that bring reproach. Choose those things that edify, that encourage. Verse 5, for know and recognize this, every sexually immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance, an, an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Light versus darkness. Verse eight, you were once uh, you were once darkness. You were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness and truth. Don't participate in any fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. Paul is saying it's it's kind of not good enough just to avoid these things. Expose them. <clears throat> You know, don't, don't only don't don't just avoid them. Don't just not walk in them, but expose them for what they are. Verse 13, everything exposed by the light is made visible for what makes everything visible is light. You know, light, the light in us makes visible the dark things of this world. If you are a part of the darkness, then light will not shine on those dark parts and they won't be exposed. But if you walk in the lightness of the Lord, that light can't help but expose darkness. And when most evil is exposed by darkness, it flees. Consistency in the Christian life. It says in verse 15, uh, pay careful attention uh, Pay careful attention to how you walk, to how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. Now, if there is a sin that a lot of us commit, it is the sin of wasting time, of procrastination. We don't redeem the time the way we should. We don't respect time the way we should. Excuse me. <coughs> we don't respect time the way we should. The days are evil. We don't have time. We don't have the luxury of wasting time. It says, and don't get drunk with wine, which leads to recklessly living, but be filled by the Spirit. Giving thanks always for everything to God, the Father, in, his, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Submitting, serving one another, supporting one another, you know, for the sake of Jesus. You know, because these things establish reputation and our reputation precedes us. If we treat each other like crap, everybody else sees this. Then they say, well, how can this Jesus be God if his own people don't treat each other right? 
A lot of times we want to succumb to the internal pressure to, to, to be satisfied by vengeance or revenge or, or whatever. And we don't realize what we're doing to the reputation of the kingdom of God. Now it gets pretty good here. We're talking about wives and husbands in their relationships. <laughs> in Ephesians 5, through 33, in my opinion, should be pre-marriage meditation. <laughs> you know, if, you're, if you have children or if you're about to get married, you should meditate on Ephesians 5, through 33. Let's get into it. It says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. Now, what hus- wives submit to your husband. Wives, support your husbands. You know, we, we get... A lot of times these words trip up people. Wives, support your husbands, okay? And if you support your husband in a biblical way, and if your husband is treating you in a biblical way and treating the marriage in the biblical way, it will supersede anything you could hope or imagine. Why? Let's get into this. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of the water by the word. Now, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? Christ loved the church in such a significant fashion that he allowed himself to give himself over to the ultimate sacrifice. He died for the sake of the church. He died for the sake of the church's well-being. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Husband, die to your own selfish desires for the well-being of your wife. Serve her. That's your job. Serve her just as Christ loved the church. Christ did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. See, so as you are serving your wife, as you sacrifice your selfish ambitions for the well-being of your life, of your wife, you are, in fact, serving your own best interests. See, it says, for no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ in the church. And so what we have here, see, marriage is an, um, is an allegory, if you will, to the relationship between Christ and the church. See, that's why marriage is holy, because the husband and wife relationship reflects the relationship of Christ and the church. Verse 33, to sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. Notice here that the man's command is to love his wife. The wife's command is to respect her husband. This is one of the prime differences between men and women. 
men really react to disrespect. You know, it, it's something in, and for the longest time I've said, because I don't know that it's left me, I'd rather be respected than loved. I don't know if that's just a man thing or whatever. But when I read this, it's like, yep, that lines up just how I feel. I'm not a woman, uh, but from my experience in dealing with women, then a love is very, very critical to them, extremely critical. And so it's interesting that Paul gives the, gives the advice, he says, to sum it up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. To me, this shows me just the relevance of the Bible. I mean, because human nature hasn't changed. Technology has changed, but human nature has not changed. Chapter 6, children and parents. Children, obey your parents in the Lord because this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is interesting. Which is the first command with a promise. Honor your father and mother, which is the first command with the promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may have a long life in the land. See? And so, (laughs) or in the earth. And so we see here that children, not, you know, honor your father and mother just for the sake of honoring your father and mother only, but also there's a promise attached to it. so So that things may go well with you in this earth and that you'll have a long life. It says... In verse 4, fathers, don't stir up anger in your children or don't exasperate your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. A lot of times we as men, we can let our anger get out of control when our kids don't do what we want them to do and we can have these outbursts against them. It says, fathers, don't stir up anger in your children because they can, they can stir this, I mean, they can store this stuff up in them. They can be resentful to the way they were treated. It says, but instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. You know, a huge part of the training and instruction in the Lord is what? Love. Serving others. Honor. Respect. Slaves and masters. Now, the wording can trip us up here. And so in some tra- uh, translators, in some translations, they don't use the words slaves and masters. Okay, they use other words because um, in Rome, there were millions of slaves, but they weren't slaves in the way that we in America, as far as the African uh, Africans coming over uh, into America at the founding of the country and that sort of thing. Uh, it's not really the same sort of thing. See, slaves in many ways in those days uh, to bring it into present day uh, understanding probably in many cases would be more related to employer-employee. And so it says slaves and masters, another way to read it is employees and employers. In verse 5, it says slaves or employees, obey your human masters, obey your human employers with with fear and trembling. In other words, respect your employers. Employees, respect your employers in the sincerity of your heart as you would Christ. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but as slaves or employees of Christ, do God's will from your heart. In other, in other words, work for your employer as if you were working for God. It says, serve with, uh, serve with the good attitude as to the Lord and not to people, knowing that whatever good each one does, slave or free, 
He will receive this back from the Lord. Work onto the Lord as your work onto your employer as you're working onto the Lord, and it will be credited to you as righteousness. Essentially, is what Paul is saying. It says, "In masters or in employees or, or excuse me, in employers." says, treat your employees the same way without threatening them because you know that both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. Simply because you're an employer or you're an owner of the business doesn't mean that you get to mistreat your employees because both uh, the, um, the, the owner and the employees, both of their masters is in heaven and he shows no favoritism. Christian warfare says in verse 10, finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For this is critical, verse 12, chapter 6, verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not against other people. We're not in warfare with other people who disagree with us or, or who mock us or whatever. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. In other words, our real enemy are the puppeteers in heaven, the, the, the evil forces in the heavens. Okay, the, the, the evil forces in the spiritual realm, Satan and his demons, those are our real enemies. That is who our fight is against. Those are the demonic puppeteers that are controlling the strings of what people are doing on earth. And so we don't war against the puppet. We war against the puppet master. It says in verse 13, for this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. It says, stand therefore with the truth. These are our weapons. Stand therefore with the truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest. See, so our truth should be rooted in the word. And our righteousness is like armor on our chest and your feet sandaled with the readiness of the gospel of peace. And our feet represents traveling everywhere we go. We should be uh, prepared to share the gospel, to share the word. This is a weapon. In every situation, take up the shield of faith, which you um, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And so faith, because things are going to come at us, right? And so we're going to have to have a shield to protect us from those things that come at us. And that shield is faith. We can't be rocked by things that we see. <clears throat> see, remember, faith is having a belief in something that is unseen. And so uh, the things that are seen can be contrary to faith. But we have to use that unseen shield, faith, in order to fend off the things that are seen, which can be fiery arrows from the enemy. It says in verse 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So the word is a weapon. The word is a sword. Pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. And then Paul gives his farewell to the Ephesians. And with that,
We have finished with the book of Ephesians. We will start tomorrow in the book of Philippians. As is always the case, the invitation from Jesus goes forth. And the word says that if you believe in your heart and if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you will not be put to shame and that you will be saved. No reason to procrastinate. No reason to put it off. Redeem the time. Make that decision if you already haven't done so. And with that, everybody stay safe. Be blessed. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And should the Lord grace us with another day of tremendous life, we'll see you tomorrow for the next version of The Word Encounter. Bye-bye.